This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we're live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we've got Jonathan. Jonathan is from a business called Red Laces, and he's also been named as one of the most influential people in safety in recent weeks. So real privilege to have him on the show. Jonathan, if you just want to tell us a little bit about your background, first of all, and a bit about your business. Sure. My background uh, was environmental health as an environmental health officer, uh, covered food hygiene, health and safety and environmental management. uh, And then a career in the kind of corporate world in hotels, transport, logistics and more. Uh, And more recently now, I've set up Red Laces as a a kind of risk consultancy, risk and sustainability, uh, working with HR directors, board directors and others to uh, solve problems, develop strategic capability with a, a bias towards safety and environmental risk. Okay, perfect, perfect. So I don't know if you've seen the show before. We like to go right back to the beginning, we'll guess, if you want to tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. Yeah, so uh, not many people will know actually about my background, but um, I grew up in Coventry, so it's my home city, that's where I still live now. Um, had a, a very uh, violent and abusive uh, background actually, childhood. Um, mm. Single parent family, uh, grew up with my mum and my brother. Um, quite a painful kind of story really, so that's why people don't know, it's something I keep really private. Um, um, but I've only only have really been away from college, apart from a little bit of travelling. Uh, went to university in Nottingham, uh, Nottingham Trent University, and then I really stayed around Warwickshire uh, with national and international roles, but never really had anywhere to move to as such. I've always been able to get to everywhere, and of course now in lockdown, <laughs> the world's gone digital anyway, so even kind of less reason as such to move around. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that with us, Jonathan. If we move on then to talk about your first job after you you left university, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, my, my degree actually was in environmental health. So it's uh, a bachelor's BSc honours in environmental health. Uh, and as such, it was a degree that I took uh, was sponsored by Coventry City Council to become an environmental health officer. Uh, so that was the plan through the, through the four-year sandwich degree. So in the first, second and fourth year, um, I actually went uh, and did some training within the different uh, departments as part of the um, learning. And on my placement year, I spent a year in the environmental health department. So uh, whether that had been dealing with drainage, contaminated, land, pest control, yeah, anything you could think of to do in environmental health kind of covered all of that uh, and then became, you know, graduated in 96 and then as an environmental health officer. So uh, that was my first first job and, and first two jobs, essentially. Mm-hmm. So quite a big interaction with health and safety and a role as an environmental health officer, but not in the kind of traditional sense. It's more of an enforcement role that you're going out and looking at certain types of premises for their health and safety as well as the kind of food hygiene arrangements as well. Absolutely. I mean, for most people, and most times you hear in the press, it's HSE, HSE inspectors, uh, environmental health doesn't really seem to get mentioned, but uh, the powers are exactly the same. So uh, many of your listeners, uh, certainly the UK-based listeners, will know uh, about the Health, Safety and Work Act, and environmental health officers have exactly the same powers as HSC inspectors. Uh, the difference is the category of premises that they would inspect or uh, enforce with. So your HSC is usually your, your mines, uh, your railway, your quarries, um, 
um, that kind of thing. Whereas um, environmental health, it's, it's your catering, it's your hospitality, your leisure, uh, transport, logistics type um, activity. Um, and the complexity, um, I guess, health and safety, HSE inspectors only deal with health safety law, largely. As an environmental health officer, I was trained in Food Safety Act, Health and Safety Work Act and Environmental Protection Act. And, and that's that brings complexity, not just in terms of the legislation, but in terms of the powers that you have when you're out there. So yeah. I could go out to do, I could go out to deal with a food, food, food poisoning outbreak in a hotel. And whilst I'm there, I might see something that from a health and safety perspective uh, is of interest or of concern. And I need to be very clear about what powers I'm using, as well as what do I expect to see from a legal uh, perspective? Because if I act where I don't have powers, any action I take is, is liable to appeal. And, a, and a, an interesting case um, the, the, where that came into my uh, when I was at Redditch, um, I was a principal environmental health officer at Redditch Borough Council, and I licensed pet shops, um, mm -hmm. pet shops, animal boarding establishments. It turns out that in the, I think it was the Pet Shops Act 1951, if I remember rightly, uh, there are no powers of entry in that legislation. So uh, I used to go out there to do routine inspections um, and that kind of thing, but I, could, I had powers of entry into the Health Safety Work Act. I didn't have powers of entry under the Pet Shops Act 1951. And I went out to investigate a complaint uh, about abuse. It, it turned out to be false, but uh, abuse around uh, treatment of, of pets. Um, mm. So the, there's a whole load of complexity about that that people just would not know about. Yeah, yeah. So when I was at university, at the University of the West of Scotland, the BSE Occupational Safety and Health Programme is a dual programme that you study alongside the environmental health students. Right. So you take a lot of the, the similar classes on mm. environmental law, moving through some of the health legislation as well and getting mm. a good understanding. I actually done a, a couple of papers on global pandemics as part of that course as well, wow. which has uh, stood me in good stead. And while what we didn't know then that we do know now, <laughs> But it's a, that was a fantastic course and it was great getting that learning and the yeah. interaction that we got with the environmental health students. And I remain friends with some people that are, are still working in that field now from my time at university. Sure. That's excellent. So that probably covers off what your first safety job was then. Let's talk a little bit more about your career journey. Where did you go then from being in the environmental health? Did you go up to principal kind of level? Yes. Yeah, so uh, so at Coventry, so at Coventry, they, uh, I mean, it was the, the best probably one of the best local authorities at the time for uh, training environmental health officers and they had a really good uh, internal scheme so I'd had the first uh, year and a half uh, to two years in commercial so dealing with food hygiene and health and safety on commercial food premises and then moved into environmental protection for two years so in that first year and a half um, I actually prosecuted uh, a national retailer which was character building stuff to be to be sure um two a three and a half day trial involving barristers um, i was actually cross-examined for three and a half hours myself uh, uh, which uh, put my whole investigation under uh, a lot of scrutiny but i thoroughly enjoyed it and i won yeah won a, a record fine at the time uh, but then went into uh, environmental protection so i was uh, regulating atmospheric emissions from uh, timber manufacturers steel foundries uh, dealing with statutory noise nuisance uh, managing the uh, in the arts and rock and pop festivals and in, in uh, sort of radio one roadshow that kind of thing uh, from yep. a from a noise point of view so working with residents and working with the event organizers some quite interesting stuff and uh, yeah from there i went to redditch borough council uh, to become principal environmental health officer so there i led for three years i led um, health and safety enforcement in in health safety and food related premises 
Uh, and that also included a, a head office and a national distribution center in logistics. So for those three years, I worked with them as a kind of a lead authority. So mm-hmm. I provide advice with them on anything they're looking to bring in. And it was actually at the time they were looking to bring in kind of uh, mezzanines uh, for selling cycles in some of their retail stores. I think they had about 100 stores at the time. So being able to give them advice both on logistics and the head office, but also then get out there uh, and help. Uh, again, just help to make life a lot easier. So that coaching and mentoring and supporting business has always been you know, a part of my DNA, even even as a regulator. Uh, I was doing a lot of that consultancy type work for them. Yeah. And you got up to a pretty senior level there, developed right through kind of career building stuff. What made you change? What made you move away from working for the environmental health? So I think they, I think I kind of, I, I, I think a lot, I think fast and I grow and I'm learning constantly. So um, I, I get impatient and I run out of stuff to do, to think about. Um, and so I pretty much I'd outgrown the, the role in, in, in Reddit. Uh, and I wanted to have an impact on a bigger stage. I wanted to try and see, could I have an impact? Could I influence across more than just a part of a borough or a borough within kind of Worcestershire? And I got the opportunity to go to Hilton Hotels, uh, which also had its sister group, uh, Living Well Health Clubs. So yep. obviously international four or five star hotel chain. Um, and so when I saw that, I thought, well, I can now, I can have an impact. I can influence positively the lives, the enjoyment, the entertainment of, of millions of people that stay in those hotels every year and or use their leisure facilities. Um, and so I got a role there covering the Midlands in the south of England. So I think something like 30 hotels, which included, say, the London Hilton or Park Lane. You know, like 28 mm-hmm. floors, four basements, and um, you know, a real privilege to kind of work in some of those international areas. Um, and also the Living Well Health Club is about 12 of those around the UK. Um, and what it also gave me the opportunity quite early on was that innovation, that creative thinking, because as you, as you all know, um, a lot of health and safety is about, it's perceived to be about um, rules, regulations, signs, compliance, that kind of thing. That doesn't really work in an international five-star hotel. Mm-hmm. If you go around putting up a whole lot of signs and posters, and you know, it's just not an international feel. So you very much, well, you very much have to, if you're going to be successful in those kind of roles, be able to create a different way of thinking and different approach. One of the examples we had, we'd had a major incident uh, or major I think slip accident in one of the basement car parks. And so what I then introduced and I brought in some um, consultants to support was looked at the use of lighting. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I start to look at some of the surfaces and we treated some of the surfaces, created some different surfaces, but by being able to change lighting and use some creative lighting, also thinking about the customer experience, actually, we were able to improve the whole area and improve the safety element of it without it being a compromise it was actually a value add ultimately so it almost starts to take say a risk that wasn't being managed into a bit more of a usp so well, this is why you'd want to come to this hotel rather yeah. than somewhere else that's excellent that's excellent and it's thinking outside the box and designing out the risk right at the yeah. front end of it by developing some of those so that, that's fantastic um can you tell us a little bit more where did you go on your career journey after that then jonathan so after after two years of being there again i kind of outgrown it because uh mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of hotels there's a lot of people to meet there's a lot of traveling involved um you know, i was writing policy uh, on around food safety i was delivering training and that kind of but after two years i kind of that wasn't enough uh, i needed more um so i came out of there i went to what was actually a devolved devolved department of the university of warwick so it was actually um it was known as horticultural research international 
-hmm. And if you imagine back to uh, the 1950s or so, after the Second World War, the government has to feed the nation. You know, it has to try and develop some scientific thinking and, and it's got to rebuild from ground up. And there are about probably half a dozen or a dozen or so of these sites of, of research, scientific research around the country. And for potato crops and brassicas and that kind of thing, this site in Warwickshire, South Warwickshire, was actually you know, a major, a major site. Got to kind of 2004, and DEFRA, the government department, had kind of thought, well, actually, this is costing us quite a lot now. We, we ought to sort of give this to somebody else who can do something more with it. And, of course, the University of Warwick, at the time, top 10 in the UK, is now kind of globally mm -hmm. top 50 in the world university. So, actually, you know, we're, we're 20 miles away. We've got professors and research, and you have. Well, what are we kind of come together? So, they created um, what was then known as Warwick HRI, which was a, se a separate devolved department, but as you can imagine, there was a whole raft of change management that was required. So I was brought into, was brought in, my job title at the time was science support manager. But you probably know that, you know, on a CV, you put in a job title and it doesn't, it doesn't tell you anything about what that role was. So what did that role uncover? Well, I was the head of technical services. So that was a team of um, instrumentation and control engineers, a team of about six. I was the head of horticultural services. So a team of about, ultimately about 24 or 25 staff. Half of them were in the sort of agriculture, so using uh, tractors and precision drilling uh, in the fields. The other half were in the crop houses, growing brassicas, tomatoes, that kind of thing. So I was the head of that function. Um, I was the site radiation protection supervisor for yeah. unsealed radioisotopes. And of course, I've never dealt with that before, so I had to get myself on a, a five-day course to, to, to learn a whole load of stuff with that. But ultimately... P32, P33, tritium, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I was responsible or accountable for to the HSC and the Environment Agency for the procurement, the storage, the waste, the management, uh, and also managing the scientists around that. Um, I was the, the health and safety person for the site, um, the fire safety person for the site. And we had living accommodation on site as well, uh, as well as all the laboratories. Um, I was also then the uh, project manager for a building refurbishment programme. So the university had been given... I think about three and a half million pounds to to modernise essentially as part of the part of the change management. Um, so demolish a couple of laboratories and design and build some brand new ones and that kind of thing. So I was the project manager for that as well um, over I think it was a two two and a half year period. Um, and then a year or two into that, I then sort of did my MBA part time as well. Um, mm -hmm. So essentially, all those things rolled into one. That was. Until about five, about four or five years, that kept me going <laughs> for, for for a few years. Um, Did but you I, sleep at any time during that? <laughs> sorry. Did you sleep at any time during all that? Yeah, I, I did. The thing is, I mean, I, I guess where I'm probably wired a bit differently from a lot of people is a lot. And, and you again, you will probably hear a lot recently around um, people in safety roles are. Why are we having environment bolted onto our roles and security? Mm -hmm and fire safety, and anything else you could think of. Why is this all being bolted on? And it's, it's almost like it's, it's, it's layered up and, and it's more to take on. I, I've, I've always been wired differently to that. I always see the synergies across all these things. So I don't see it as a more, I see it as actually I can influence more and, and see the links between it and collaborate more effectively. And reporting to the operations director at the time, because I was covering all these different roles, I could go and say, here's the strategy I believe is the right one to go, but here's the plan. Here's what I think we should be working on. All right. She could ask me to do some troubleshooting um, and I could do it. So because I was the quality issue, I was accountable for quality assurance, for fire safety, for health safety. I was project managing the building refurbishment program. There wasn't really anything else apart from the science, but out of science, there wasn't really anything else that I wasn't directly or indirectly managing or leading or accountable for. So 
I could bring the synergy to it. And for mm. instance, any strategy, policy plan, any internal communications, any stakeholder management, I could find a way that actually was just more agile, more adaptable, uh, yeah. more tailored to the audience and the different audiences. So, so yeah, so yeah, when it got to, to the kitchen extension at the same time as the MBA, and that, it, it did get a bit much at one point. Um, but yeah, I've always had a, I guess, an insatiable appetite for doing lots and lots of different things. Yeah, and you touched on the MBA there. I think it's it's very good. I was actually asked today, um, I'll, I'll not say by whom or in what setting, but I was asked why an MBA was part of my forward planning and something that I was considering doing. Yeah. And I think if you can understand and speak the language and operate in every sphere of business, then it stands you in good stead for managing safety because it does touch all areas of the business. So Absolutely. I think that's excellent. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the MBA that you studied and how that came about and some of the stuff that you learned from it and how you apply that in your role? Yeah, I think so. The, I actually started the MBA back in 2000 and I think it's 2000 and 2001, something like that. Uh, so I'd already done my honours degree in environmental health. I then went on to do a master's degree in environmental monitoring and assessment at Coventry University, uh, which most people don't know because most people just think of me as doing health and safety, which is kind of second set the record straight. Environment's always been a, a really strong part of it. Uh, I, I did. I ended up doing the two years of a part-time master's because I then went, then went on to, I left Coventry and went to Redditch. Um, so it was no longer convenient to do the master's. And actually I thought, well, I'll just top up my... Uh, my uh, health and safety element with an EBOSH diploma. Uh, obviously, I've been regulated health and safety for, for seven years, so I didn't need it. I'd already you know, kind of got what I needed. But what I felt the EBOSH diploma offered at that point then was just a bit more rounded parts of almost the HSE regulated part, you know, the, the CDM, the construction element, and some of that industrial and manufacturing types of that I wouldn't have had. had it. So it just rounded that off. Um, then get on to uh, the MBA, I started that. So I thought, actually, I want to get that management side that you, you referred to. Uh, but then when I went to uh, my next job at Hilton, they were like, well, you're going to work a lot of hours here. You're not going to have time to study. So I paused it. Uh, and then when I went to the University of Warwick, then that's when they kind of picked it back up again. Um, the, the, the learnings, I guess, from it are, for one, you're, you're mi mixing with lots of people from different walks of life and different sectors. And I think a big part of the MBA is it's not just the content, it's not just the learning, uh, but it's the networking that you do or the the ideas that you get and, and, and also, also the networking around themes. So, yes, you can go to a networking event, but you might just be talking about yeah, whatever the theme of the event is. But networking to solve problems, I think, was a key part of it. So uh, there were quite a lot of you know, quite significant projects that we had to undertake as teams together and different teams. Uh, a couple of residentials as well, where you really get to find out about other other ways of thinking and recognizing that actually the way that I'm wired, it, it's, it's not a right way, and other ways aren't wrong ways. It's how to how to recognize that there are different cultures, there are different ways of thinking, there are different there are different styles um, as yeah. much as anything. So it's, it's that I think it's that awareness, uh, but definitely. Uh, agreeing with you that um, understanding business or having a curiosity about business and other parts of the, the organization you're working in, for me, is absolutely critical um, to being effective in health and safety. And alongside that, uh, one of the questions I was asked yesterday when I was presented to um, the IOSH uh, Swiss networks, about 160 people, I think, through UK, Europe and Africa, one of the questions at the end was, how, how do you uh, promote health and safety? 
and I smiled, I paused and smiled and, and I said, well, I don't really use the language of safety. I don't really use those words very often. Mm -hmm. uh, I generally say what I mean and I use language that resonates with other people in other functions uh, and try to maybe use the terminology that other functions use, maybe it was HR or IT or whatever. So I think that's a key thing. And whether you do an MBA or some kind of uh, leadership management type study, I think that's the kind of thing to try and get that awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So you went to University of Warwick. Where did you progress to from there? So from there, I went to, there was a part of my, I suppose, if you think of the, the different roles and functions, I, I hadn't spent a lot of time around risk from a, from a corporate rough governance mm. point of view. So if you think about uh, risk registers and that, the, yeah. org, yeah, the organizational framework around risk, I hadn't done much on that, and performance from a corporate KPI type approach. So I went from um, University of to Solihull Council. Um, I went in as a service development manager, so group manager on the in the transport, highways, and environment division. And mm -hmm. of course, they've got they've got um, you've got um, like the A forty five, you've got um, trying to think, you've got the NEC, you've got Birmingham International Airport, all, kind of, all, all within that borough. So some big big trunk roads and big kind of activity there. Um, so go into tra transport highways and environment. And uh, my I headed up the team that was responsible for all of the uh, the reporting into the the, uh, the elected members. So essentially kind of the board report equivalent in a, in mm -hmm. a private sector, uh, but also all of the transport functions, all the highways, all the environment. So waste collection, grass cutting, and anything from an environmental point of view that the local authority provides. I was responsible for managing the performance and uh, the risks associated with all of that. And also we had a, uh, we did some work with uh, Centro and Mott uh, McDonald's and a few others. There was a, a contract where um, the local, the eight local authorities around the West Midlands came together to provide some joint uh, data um, insight for all transport modeling for you know, what's going to happen in the next five years or 10 years, or if we build a new trunk road here, what would happen? Uh, so I chaired, well, I managed the, the, the arrangements for all of that as well. So again it gave me it gave me some it filled in some blanks for me that that hadn't got anywhere else mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so that's another another big step and a quite different role from the previous role that you were in as well that's really interesting so was it straight from there to red laces or is there another couple of steps in between <laughs> there's, there was a, there's a few more steps out there i've had a few different roles i was actually made redundant from solihull council unfortunately uh, that was at the time obviously after the financial crash um, yep. um so that local authorities are making a lot of a lot of cuts then so unfortunately that was my first taste of uh, being re made redundant um, after that then i had uh, had a year at the yha mm -hmm. the youth hospital association for england and wales and, and, in, a, and in a strange way that was um that was actually a bit more like going back to my roots in environmental health uh, and yeah. I thoroughly loved it. It was, um, so I went in as head of, I think head of Shet, they called it, but head of safety, health, environment, equality. Uh, but I also then was responsible for uh, corporate risk for business continuity as well. And mm -hmm. for a 70 million pound um, commercial charity, it, it with uh, sort of 150 sites and 2 million overnights. Again, it had parallels with Hilton you know, in terms of uh, its hotel and accommodation. Uh, but within some, from an environmental health perspective, a lot of their sites are in Snowdonia. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, they're up the side of a mountain. Uh, so it's off mains water, it's off mains power. And I was also talking about power. I also looked after the, the power as well. So I looked after the sustainability strategy or sort of led the sustainability strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. And I had a million pounds PL for 
So I had the two million pound PL for the for the fuel. Uh, so that's gas, electricity, but also solid fuel and oil and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also had a million pounds. I was responsible for a million pounds of uh, renewable technology. Mm-hmm. So again, I re- I reported to to the board or, or made recommendations to the board on where should we put biomass boilers in yeah. and or where should we put solar panels into our sites. Mm-hmm. And of course, then you've got to uh, work through from a from an energy point of view, which are the most or the least you know, energy efficient, which are the ones that are the best in terms of. Uh, uh, the, the accommodation that they're being used uh, of course also i had some own conflicts where i had to i was kind of conflicted so for instance the when i when i joined there the head office had a couple of boilers that none of them were in very good condition um and so you think well oh, actually could be right for putting in biomass boilers um mm. and then and then you think well actually uh, that would be good from a leadership point of view because if we show that as head office then that's a really big commitment but of course from a uh, business continuity point of view if there are any issues with that biomass technology and it doesn't work and we lose head office <laughs> then then somebody's going to come to me and say well it was a great idea this uh, renewable technology but now the head office has gone down and you're responsible for business continuity what's your plan now um so the whole lot of just just different challenges um and actually after a month of being there probably less than a month the ceo asked me to take on safeguarding uh, child protection or safe safeguarding which is essentially child protection as a on a case-by-case basis but safeguarding overall uh, and this was a it's, it's probably one of my favorite examples of my career of turning a a risk that maybe it wasn't yet being managed strategically certainly uh, into a usp mm-hmm. because actually what i was able to do again it's a bit like the radiation protection um at the universe warwick i have never done safeguarding charge protection before it's not something that i had any experience uh, as such um so i got myself onto the nspcc course so a designated child protection officer course two-day course and on the back of that i said to them if i was to write a strategy policy put some training in for our uh, executive uh, would you endorse it you know would you actually put your your name on it because that would be really really good uh, and they said a bit like the hse you know if you ask the hse to endorse your safety policy well they're not an endorsing body are they, they they'll say sorry we can't we essentially you do the right things but we can't do it so i said well what will it take what what would it take to do that because we're a commercial charity and we're we're providing experiences for young children and the NSBCC you know, promoting uh, safety and protecting children. So strategically, there's an alignment there, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no conflict. And so what they ultimately said was, look, if you can uh, if you can put something together that, that meets the principles we've trained you in, and actually we we, yeah, we can uh, go with it, then actually we will. Uh, so ultimately, what happened then was they yeah, we had their logo on our policy, which then meant that mm-hmm. as a commercial charity, you know, we can now go out there and against private operators. You know, if you're a parent and you're sending your child away, particularly to summer camps or times when there might not even be parents available or you know, it's, it's, it's volunteers and whatever, you now know that this organisation is doing its level best it's, and is proactively doing more than anybody else to try and do the right thing. And it's showing that leadership. Uh, so it's, and it's a bit like safety culture. And I, you know, it, there's a million one ways of, of looking at things like this, but you know, safety culture isn't just a separate culture from anything else. But if you think of safeguarding in those ways as well, it's mm-hmm. about having the leadership uh, not just ticking the box but actually make creating that environment this is something i come back to a lot creating an environment of trust creating an environment where people can open up if they've got a concern bearing yeah. in mind her majesty the queen is the patron saint of the yha and if you think about things like the jimmy savile and other kind of scandals or things that have been on the news where there would be a concern quite often it's the fact that people don't feel they can open up Mm-hmm. Um, so, so actually starting to get the leadership aware of some of those issues uh, and actually something I, I didn't know till I went on that course was a lot of child, um, a lot of the concerns that the NSPC would have is actually child on child as opposed mm-hmm. to necessarily adult on child or not kind of strange on child. So 
it's like a lot of things that we, yeah, we cover through safety, health and environmental risk. That awareness, sometimes it opens your eyes to things actually you're just not aware of. And once yeah. you are, then you can start to be proactive about it and look for the signs and just and but create the environment of trust where people have got any kind of concern, they can open up. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. And that's a great example of collaboration, identifying that opportunity and then driving it through, getting it set up as a joint collaboration that was mutually beneficial between two organisations. That's fantastic. So Youth Hostel Association, we've got another step in there. I can sense it, Jonathan. You've been quite a, a long career, haven't you? So, so, so rattling, rattling through there then, because again, I, I kind of, after a year, kind of outgrown that role as much as big as it was. And I did, I did love it. But it, if they had like an international, it was, if it was international, I probably would have stayed there and done more. Um, partway through that year, um, something kind of came back to me. And it was the and it was from a role at Redditch in, log, in logistics or looking after logistics. And I thought, I know it's a tough sector to get into, especially... Yeah, there's lots of, um, like a lot of, of sectors, if you've not grown up in it, you know, it's hard to get in. There are lots of prejudices that you've not worked here for 10 years, so you can't come in. You know, how could you possibly add value? Um, but I thought, no, I want to get into logistics. And so I kind of set my heart on, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and then within six months, then I'd, I'd got the role at Marks and Spencer's. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know, but Castle Donington, uh, they've got a logistics site there. So uh, largest automated distribution centre in Europe at that time. Mm-hmm. So MS.com, anything you buy from there, it all comes from there. Um, so I, I went there for a year, um, led health and safety there, a, a massive site, something like 900,000 square feet, you know, mm-hmm. 11 football pitches all under one roof. Um, so yes, yeah, so I had a year there. Um, I had uh, a year and a half or so at, um, I'd had a year and a half, so where were it for that? RS components, uh, so electro components, PLC, European Health and Safety Manager there for a year, and uh, TNT, uh, it was then owned by FedEx, uh, so a year and a half or so, there's kind of Director of Environmental Health, uh, sorry, Director of Health, Safety, Environment, that kind of thing, uh, and then I got 13,000 staff in the UK, 4,000 mm-hmm. subcontractors, um, and that was looking after not just kind of the, the management of systems, but uh, you yeah, had, had the ISO, so it had the 9,001 for quality, 14,001 for environment, 18,001 and 50,001 as well, 5 50,001 for energy, um, which of course I've not done that before. I've done other types of energy management. So lots of these things are coming at different angles. Um, so I managed the team there, put together a strategy, actually uh, developed a, I'd started the thinking when I was at MS, but I actually uh, worked with the board um, at, uh, at TNT and developed a, a health and safety strategy essentially um, that um, I got signed off. I had, to, I had to get it approved by the senior vice president for Northern Europe for FedEx to be able mm-hmm. to introduce it into the UK because by then FedEx actually owned TNT. Uh, so that was again character building stuff, but again, it just showed the, uh, I, I suppose, that. the value that it was going to bring, that it was actually going to get signed off at, at that level. Um, yeah, so we've had uh, that time there and um, I've also had a year in student accommodation. So United Students had a year there as um, health, um, head of health and safety. So covering a 12 month maternity cover. Um, and in that role there brought in a fire safety manager, um, mm-hmm. a business analyst into the team. Something I, don't, I haven't said very often, I probably will I'll start to push it through a lot more in red laces is, I guess, essentially the structure of health and safety teams. Um, mm-hmm. as maybe you, you'll have your own views on it as well, but as well as, as we've already agreed, getting a business insight and developing that business acumen yourself as a health and safety professional. My view is quite, quite strongly held because um, I've, I've done it in a few organizations now is that the skill set within a health and safety team can be enhanced by bringing in other functions into that team. And, and the two specifically that I've brought in several times are a project manager and an analyst. 
Um, obviously, fire safety manager where fire safety is a key risk in the business, uh, but particularly project manager and analyst, I, I recommend that yeah, every health and safety team looks to bring those kind of roles in, not necessarily embed them in the team, but whether they can um, sort of work them through other functions as well. Um, I certainly don't believe that health and safety teams need to be any bigger than, than they are usually, uh, but it's how they're structured and strategically how, how they function, how they work. Yeah. Um, the other one that I think that works really, really well in that kind of set up is getting someone that's an expert in communications and they are absolutely worth a weight in gold. If you can communicate, drive the message through and really have that expert advice on tap, as to how you put your messages out there relating to health and safety, then that will pay dividends. I, I, I agree, and and, I, and generally in in that context, that's where I look for the the project manager role to um, to, to essentially lead on that. But of mm -hmm. course, it's incumbent on the whole environment or the whole health and safety team to do that. You yeah. know, communication cannot be one person's role in the health yeah. and safety team any more than health and safety can be left to the safety team to do or yeah. HR for the HR to do. Uh, but yeah, absolutely agree that uh, communication is, is critical. And, and of course, that going back to the presentation I did yesterday, five, 10 years ago, we'd be talking about communicate, communicate, you can't communicate enough. For me now, I think the, the, the narrative is much more around influence yeah that what well, yeah the title of the presentation was innovate influence inspire mm -hmm. and i think that's where we are now so essentially yes it is still communication but i think the essence now um it, it's it, we need to refine that thinking more because i think communicate is uh, it's just my view but i think communicate now is, is a little bit too simplistic mm -hmm. it's a little bit too thinking between the rails and thinking in straight lines we've now got different audiences we've got different demographics we've got different wants nice. and needs so so yeah inspiring but particularly as i mentioned yesterday the um your work workplaces are now much more fragmented than, than they ever were um and yeah. you know, don't know when they'll go back logistics yeah so if you're in logistics you're still going to be working in a warehouse you're still going to be working on construction site you're still going to be uh you know, on yeah on the shop floor for some of those roles but actually the back office functions now, the HR, the IT, the board, many more of those roles now are going to be home-based or remote-based much further away. And so therefore telling people what to do or even telling people or showing people what the values of the organisation are is way harder than it ever was before. So the safety team, as well as other functions and leaders and the senior executives in the businesses, that innovate, influence, inspire, that agility of thinking that adaptability of um, how you communicate and where and recognizing there isn't just one audience. You, you, you can't now just send out a safety campaign and say, it's National Back Care Week. There you go, there's a thousand people in the business. You've all got the email, you've all got the member. You know, this is why Red Lace is, um, you know, I've got six social media channels. TikTok mm -hmm. is just the, the one to play with really and experiment with, but five social media channels. So if anybody wants to access any of the content I'm putting out there, you've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, or whatever, at any time, any, any place, anywhere kind of stuff, uh, which is also the reason why the Global Mental Health Awareness campaign I ran and the current one I'm doing, uh, Women in Business, are on YouTube. You know, I'm, I'm posting them on LinkedIn and elsewhere, but they live on YouTube because it's freely shareable, freely available to anyone, anytime. And we've touched on that now, so let's talk about that. The Women in Business one, I think, massively impressive as a father of two daughters, Congratulations, first of all, for launching that one. I Thank think you. the message that you're putting out there with that is absolutely fantastic. 
brilliant, keep up the great work. Tell us a little bit about the theory behind both of those campaigns, how you came up with them and why you started on the journey with those. Sure, they're very, very different, well, different reasons or starting points, I guess. So the mental health awareness uh, campaign um, actually goes back before Red Laser. Actually, at the start of the year, I was at a conference um, and Danny Schoolthorpe, rugby league legend, you I'll be honest, I, I don't follow rugby, I follow football. So I didn't, I didn't really know him beforehand, but uh, he, his career ended in, you know, tragically and he's now a, a mental health campaigner, does a lot of public speaking about it. And I saw him at a, a conference at the start of the year and really emotive and, and really kind of touched me. And then I saw him at another conference. He was going to be at the Shisho Northeast up in, uh, in Newcastle. Yeah. So I got in touch with him and said, look, you're going to be up there presenting again. And I loved your presentation the other week. I'm, I'm coming, I'm going to see you again. I'm up there. Um, I said, but I've started, I've, I've created this brand this consultancy called red laces and uh, yeah really good to everyone get a bit of your time with you afterwards um so i did i got lots of 20 second selfie video i'm just like talking into it so i had that as a clip didn't know what i'd do with it but that was it so it got to in the summer that there's a mental health awareness campaign a mental health awareness week in the uk mm -hmm. by the mental health foundation and i just thought yeah by then i'd got a youtube channel i've got a facebook i've got linkedin i hadn't put much out from video i had at that point i hadn't really been done selfie videos they're still new to me but I thought if I could just put something out as red laces and say, yeah, I'm saying mental health is something that we, we need to raise awareness about, I'll put that video out somewhere. So I did that and I thought, well, I wonder if I was to ask one or two other people to just do like a one minute, one minute selfie video for me around mental health, just anything. That'd be really good. And, and it was actually just one minute and authentic, relatable content. That's all I needed to be. No script. I'm not going to tell you what to say. So it's all up to you. What would you say? What would you say to a friend? Yeah, so what would you say to a friend or a colleague? What what would you say? What would you share? Um, and lo and behold, people kept saying yes. <laughs> so so I ended up getting in touch with uh, you know, the Safety Justice League over in America. Uh, one or two people around. I mean, Professor Andrew Sharman got involved. Um, James McPherson, Rob Cheeks, yeah, a lot of uh, people you know mm -hmm. in the UK. But it, yeah. but it was it was never going to be a safety campaign or just safety. So the whole of Red Laces, you know, I'll pick... Um, Certainly people that follow and engage with any of my social media, uh, certainly first in line up, I'll be going back and looking to invite them into to do campaigns. But I wanted it to just be different people, different faces, and, and also use it as an opportunity for me to grow my network and meet people in different cultures and time zones or whatever. So even like Ed, Ed Deborah, um, Irish West Africa, yeah. from Ghana, and we ended up doing a, an Instagram live together on the back of that, which was, which was interesting. Um, so that's essentially what I did. And I did that for the week. Then I thought, well, why did it need to be a week? And I'd already done a TikTok video on mental health, which I shared the other week. It's essentially pouring tea into a cup. And I just put some music to it and I put little graphics to it as well. Uh, just, again, just using TikTok to see what the technology could do. But mental health was one of my first posts on LinkedIn uh, um, on Red Laces. So, of course, I'm taking the learning. I'm developing all the time. I've, I've developed my branding and uh, it's, I'm learning all Chinese stuff all the time. Um, and then about, it's about four weeks or so ago, literally on a Thursday, I don't know where I was, just something dropped into my mind, women in business. And I thought, okay, the, my whole way of, my whole reason for being really is make the world a better place. Not to push any agenda, but just to do different things. And obviously environmental health was my career where it started. So mental health, if you think of broadly in terms of business, mental health applies to more and more people and it's talked about more and more um mm -hmm. but creating that environment yeah that core creating an environment is what i come back to and for creating an environment of trust where people can open up whether it's about an unsafe situation whether it's about i, I, I don't feel like i've got the support and I, and I need some help please um or whether it's about people who don't quite have a voice at a table or aren't being represented or whatever so there was just something in there i thought women in business 
And again, that's why I started inviting people. And I thought, well, I now know how to um, get videos through. I know how to edit them on Capwing. I know how to embed them into uh, some content on, on Canva. So I've kind of taken the learning of what I've done. I've, I've sharpened up my branding. So that feels you know, more cohesive now. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So I just started asking people. And I looked around, and I live on LinkedIn. So I spent a lot of time on there. And I saw there were one or two people who I thought were you know, renowned for being inspirational role models. They've won awards for it. They're internationally renowned. And then there are other people I thought, well, I don't even know who they are, but I think they've got a story to tell. And even if it's just, uh, I'm not looking for celebrities. I'm not looking for famous people. Uh, but a bit like with a mental health campaign, there was some mm. international keynote speakers on mental health. But then my mother-in-law was on there. Yeah. So it's about just providing something. I don't know who you would relate to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, but, but, if there's 30 faces there, chances are there's going to be one you think, oh, I wonder what they've got to say. Now, if that inspires you or makes you feel better, or if you know of somebody else that will help, well, that's it. So that's, that's essentially what I've done. So there's 30, there's about 20 videos are up on YouTube already. If you've got Red Laces YouTube, already there. Um, I've posted about 13 of them to LinkedIn. I'm putting a, a new one on each weekday for, mm-hmm. for the next couple of weeks. And they're all quite short content as well, aren't they? A mm. couple of minutes out of your day, have a look at them and then progress them from there. They're great if anybody wants to have a look at them and see what ones take your interest. So if we move on a little bit now, Jonathan, just to talk about where you see yourself progressing to in the future, what's the what's the next big plan? I'm excited by this uh, this whole social media so this red laces thing uh i mean ultimately red laces is a consultancy so it's through that i can uh, offer services around pretty much yeah your risk health and safety sustainability so strategy development uh, policy um, training development you know, everything you'd expect really um also potentially just starting to do some ghost writing so actually doing some uh, writing for soft feature bits and pieces uh presenting a bit more so um i'm at the I'm at a conference in munich in uh, february um yeah. sharing about environmental health and again i've got so many different essentially presentations i can deliver so uh, i presented to alchemus um, earlier on in the year so the alchemist safe contractor uh, presented some like 60 or so of their sales directors uh, around my thoughts and approaches around risk now so yesterday mm-hmm. was around innovation this next one's around environmental health so getting down to sharing different messages to different audiences but with underlying the same kind of things you know, creativity making the world a better place and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff so that, that's that's my aspiration really is just to keep in whatever line of work I'm in wherever I am in the world and whoever I'm networking with is, is make people feel better and help help to create a, a better world out there and just keep keep learning so essentially I'll yeah the MBA kind of kept me going for a while and yeah my degree kept me going for a while I did I did a Prince 2 practitioner project management that kept me going for a while and it, it's it, it's not to it's not to be a celebrity. It's it's not to to be flashy. It's I'm constantly learning, but that I also feed that back as well. So um, yeah, a lot. I've always had a, a strong uh, mentoring, um, a passion for mentoring and coaching others. So um, as I mentioned yesterday in the um, presentation I did to Ash, uh, safety for good. So uh, James McPherson, you probably know. Uh, I mentor him through the safety for good, and so and that's kind of a reverse mentoring as well. Could we could support each other? And I think that's the other thing as well. Health and safety, I think, has uh, largely been quite transactional, uh, in, in my experience, in, in pretty much every organisation I've been into, certainly in logistics more so. Uh, but it's also quite often quite hierarchical as well. Um, mm-hmm. And people uh, in teams that I've got into, a lot of health equity teams, 
the people in those functions kind of almost feel like they're following the rules, the rules they impose on themselves. So I'll give you an example. When I went to one organization, we we're in a health safety um, team. And I said, when was the last time you invited the head of marketing to your team meeting? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you invited the receptionist to your team meeting? And you know, when was the last time you went to the IT team meeting? Not to do a presentation, but to go to their team meeting and find out what makes them tick, what they're working on, what they like, who they are, that kind of thing. I need to, every organization I go to is just like blank faces. Well, we can't. We why can't? Well, we haven't got permission. Well, why haven't you? Who's not, who's not giving you permission? I'm giving you permission. When, when are you going to go? So in one of the roles, one of the roles I was in, we had, I invited the head of marketing to, to our team. Uh, we actually found out by inviting the head of marketing to our team meeting that marketing looked after the contract for laundry. Mm-hmm. So you think of all the contractor safety associated yep. with that. The marketing team had no real knowledge and expertise around contractor safety. The health or safety team were unaware that they needed to have because they're marketing. They don't do that kind of stuff. So just by thinking outside of the box, it's all about people. It's mm-hmm. all about people. But it's that freedom to think differently and to go and explore and to go and engage with other people. So the, the receptionist, you know, if you're in a head office function, for instance, the receptionist probably knows more what's going on in that building than anybody else. Mm-hmm. But yeah. also, they, and, they, and they've probably seen people going past from the health team and not really know who they are. Yeah. And don't you just I always don't... make it a point to get to know the receptionist. Um, that's where you'll get your best intel receptionist, security people, anybody at that kind of level. You can pick up with them. They'll know all the ins and outs of the business. You'll normally find they've been there a long time. They know all of the executive people that come in and out because they talk to them as well. Because they know people in an executive role, that's the first person they'll go and speak to if they're a good executive. Yeah. But but how many other people, how many other functions will invite a receptionist to the team meeting? Do you think the the marketing team do? Do you think HR do? Do you think uh, states do or engineering? Chances are nobody does. So what I do a lot of the time, I come back to innovation, it's sometimes a lot of the time it's, it's the thinking. So quite often my, my teams will be the first to do something, the first mm-hmm. team to suggest doing something. Another example was um, getting board members involved in riddle investigations. Uh, so this is something I introduced in a, in a role just a couple of years back um, to, to try and get the, to help the development of, of my team because how often do health safety teams get to spend a day with a procurement director or an IT director? Or, they just don't normally. Uh, but how often do uh, members of a board or an operational board uh, look at health and safety report? And all they really know about health and safety is uh, the accidents, the incidents and the riddles. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I want to do is, is get them out of the boardroom and start getting involved and start being curious. The first challenge I had was... Um, Okay, well, we, we recognise, Jonathan, that you want us to get out more. And Okay, so can you give us a 10-point plan? Can you give us some audit questions? Well, no, because I don't want to reinforce the fact that safety is about audits. I want you to get out there and see your people. You know, if I've just presented uh, an update to say, here's a new contractor safety scheme, here's some new information that's going to be posted in, uh, in, a, uh, in a reception foyer area, why, why do you need me to give you an ed memoir? Surely, you know, if you've got 100 sites or 50 sites, the next time you're there and you walk in and you say hello to the receptionist or whatever, have a look. Have they got the poster up over there not? Or just say to them, yeah, is your new contractor scheme working? Because I heard in the board meeting the other day that we've got a new scheme. Just show that interest. 
and actually getting them involved in riddles. Uh, obviously, you don't want to be having too many riddles, but if you can have uh, you know, a finance director, an IT director, HR director, get involved in the riddle investigation, not to do the ins and outs of it, but to say to the safety team, so tell me a bit about the incident. Tell me about who was involved. Tell me about what we found out so far. What, what can I do to help? Mm -hmm. so we had one, so the, the first case we had was the procurement director, phoned him up, got him involved, you know, put them together. The next board meeting, because in this organization we started with safety first, I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, uh, but before I spoke, he actually said, look, I'd like to go first today. Um, you know, Jonathan invited me to get involved in this procurement, uh, in the, well, this riddle. And um, what I found out was that where this lady had had an injury, there's actually something we can do about the specification of the equipment that's in there. So mm -hmm. as the procurement director, what I've now done is I've spoken to my team, we've put in a, in a temporary fix, but we're actually now going to change our specification. So for all new builds and all refurbs, we're going to have a different type of equipment going in there and a different process. And we've spoken to operations and housekeeping, whatever, and they're now going to do something slightly different as well. So the impact or the influence on the whole organization from that one conversation with the procurement director and my team on a riddle, that's, that was groundbreaking, but every organization could do that. Some of the best organizations that I've worked with have had that, that if they have any notable incident, they have an executive review at the end of the incident that you present mm -hmm. findings back from the incident investigation to the executive board for scrutiny, to look through what's happened, step you through the corrective actions in place, how are they working, how are they actually going to function at site level, mm -hmm. and then they will do the follow-up on it. And some of the best directors I've worked with have been equally as comfortable in the boardroom as they have been able to go out and engage with people mm -hmm. at site level. And that's the true mark of someone that's really, really good at that level. Mm, for sure. So that's interesting. If we continue on, what advice would you give to someone that's starting out today in health and safety? They've maybe chose it as a career or they're at the mid-stage of their career and they're retraining to move into a health and safety role. We're all wired differently. And so my, my, my starting point would be uh, to be curious um, and, and, and to uh, bring some creativity and some flair. Um, and part of that curiosity is about um, understanding other parts of the business. You, you can read the technical side of things. You can read up. You know, if you've got a challenge with asbestos or you've got uh, a challenge with uh, manual handling or workplace transport, you can learn, you can go and read that stuff and you can read that you know, kind of after hours, or whatever, in your own time. But making the best use of time with people and, and understanding some of the real challenges and show, showing empathy for those some of those challenges is, is really really powerful and helps to build some relationships as well mm -hmm. i give an example when i was at, uh, in the role of Warwick hri so as head of horticultural so head of horticultural services um i was probably about four or five levels more senior than some of the team that were out there you know doing the work with the tractors and i used to go down to a team meeting on a thursday and you know a lot of the time I was wearing a suit, but all of the stuff down there, the more overalls. So on a Thursday morning, when I went down to the team meeting, I went down in overalls or well, I went down in jeans. I went down in casual. Um, so I could sit as one of them. 
so which the first time I did that, they, they didn't realize who I was because they thought, who, who's this new person coming in? They'd never had that before. They never had somebody come down and be part of their team and actually spend time with them. Um, so the airs and graces that were there the first week, after a week or two, actually they kind of eased back and they kind of relaxed a bit more. And then I said, well, we'll start to have a, a bit more support. And I'll come out and see what you do. And somebody said, you won't. You won't come out in January when it's like two degrees on your hands and knees, you know, picking carrots out of the field. I said, well, look, I, I promise you once a month, starting from next Thursday, whoever invites me to come down with them from nine o'clock till 10, I'll come and do whatever it is you're doing. That's it. So the following Thursday, <laughs> they took true to my word. Yeah, I was harvesting carrots on my hands and knees in overalls in January, bitterly cold. But by being down there with the team for an hour, a team of 10, I think it was, I could see what they were doing. You know, they gave me some, some brief trainers, what I needed to do. But I didn't have to ask them about manual handling. I didn't have to ask them about what they did because I could see what they were doing, which also then meant that when I did ask them questions, I could ask questions that were a bit more about them and a bit mm-hmm. more about yeah, how they work and about what the challenges are and what they what they like doing and that kind of stuff. Uh, the following month, I was out um, harvesting tomatoes in a greenhouse about 40 degrees um you know with all this green gunk and everything all over me and my shorts sweltering and whatever uh, but that it gave me so much insight and it also showed the empathy and actually they brought a lot of respect that i could just never have done if i said I'm, I'm here to do an inspection I'm, I'm here to to investigate an accident so i think that's that's the advice i would give is to be cure, be genuinely curious uh, to be authentic to to care um and to yeah, to, to, to think about things from a, a business perspective and from a people perspective, not from a, not from a rules perspective. So think more about uh, being agile, being adaptable, you know, a safety policy, whatever the documents, the management systems are, that they, they need to be workable and add value and yeah. find, out, find out how they're adding value. Excellent, excellent. Great advice, Jonathan. So just to sum up a little bit then, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and getting involved. Um, I think you're just as fast talking and fast paced as me. I think it's a bit of an event horizon. That we're <laughs> um, I think you're probably one of the only people that could keep up with me. So that's excellent. Um, and I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. No, I've loved it. I, I, I get really passionate and, and that's, yeah, it's authentic. It's real. And that's, that's what, that's what I am. And that's what Red Lace is. It, it's, it's authentic and, and it's real. Um, you scratch beneath the surface, you break it. You know, if you see what colors, Red Lace is, but running through that Red Lace is, is the green of the environment and, and it's the whatever color health or safety is and risk. So I, talk, I generally talk the language of risk and sustainability. It covers all of those things, but ultimately it's about people. Uh, I think what you probably find as well is that Red Lace is probably one of the only brands out there which is really interactive. So like I say, if you look on uh, on the Red Laces LinkedIn page, for instance, you'll see a lot of dialogue, a lot of chat. Uh, you'll see that I invite a lot of people who get involved in uh, whatever channel, it's Instagram, whatever, but I invite them to get involved in content creation and campaigns as well. So I think that just, it, it starts to get other people involved. And, and then, of course, you'll, you'll see very little on there about health and safety explicitly, but it's, but it's implicit in there. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's your preferred contact method? Is it one of your five or six social media platforms <laughs> yeah if you, if you go on my linkedin <laughs> the, the easiest one if you go to redlaces.co.uk uh you'll find at the top right there links to the five main social channels uh you'll find uh you know links to my email my number as well um yeah jonathan dempsey on on linkedin as well if you want to find and connect with me so wh- whatever you'll find you'll find me very easily and, and if you've got any questions literally you know, any any 
any platform that you prefer to use, that's that's the one to use. Perfect. Thanks again, Jonathan. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.